0: to the podcast series from Deaconess, the women's hospital, a place for all your life. I'm Melanie Cole and today, we're discussing gynecologic cancers. Joining me is Heidi Hendricks. She's a physician assistant at the Women's Cancer Center. Heidi, it's such a pleasure to have you with us today. What an important topic for women to hear about. Tell us what types of cancers are considered gynecologic cancers.
1: So there are a few different cancers that are considered gynecologic cancers. Gynecologic cancers are a type of cancer that starts in a woman's reproductive organs. So the five main types that we think of when this comes to mind are cervical cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer or endometrial, um, vaginal and vulvar cancer. Thank
0: you for that list because, you know, not all women realize all that's involved in their reproductive organs. So tell us about risk factors because we hear things like ovarian cancer is very difficult to detect. We hear about our cervical cancer and pap smears and things. Tell us if we know that there are certain risk factors for this.
1: Yes, of course. So um, I'd like to just start at the top in terms of different risk factors for each because some do differ a little bit in terms of cervical cancer, some of the biggest risk factors for this type of cancer are HPV infection. So having an infection with HPV, very high risk HPV types, sexual activity at a younger age, having many sexual partners over a lifetime, smoking, those are some of the biggest risk factors for cervical cancer. In terms of ovarian cancer, Increased age is one of the biggest risks for ovarian cancer. Um, Having kids at a later age, never having a full-term pregnancy, and family history can also be one of the trigger risk factors for this, which we could talk about um, later in detail in terms of some inherited traits and genetic factors that go into this. And then endometrial cancer, some of the biggest risk factors for this are obesity, being overweight for a significant amount of time over the lifetime, Um, having estrogen, postmenopausally increased age is also a big risk factor for this as well, diet and exercise, um, things like that. So those are some of the biggest risk factors for those three different types of cancers themselves.
0: So then let's talk about the role that inherited trait plays in developing ovarian cancer. And we've heard about the BRCA gene for breast cancer and this mutation. Tell us a little bit about that role for ovarian cancer.
1: Yeah, so ovarian cancer, up to about 25% of ovarian cancers are part of a family cancer syndrome. So it's really important in terms of knowing the family history and doing genetic testing in that instance. BRCA1 and 2 are two different kinds of mutations that can occur which increase that risk for ovarian cancer. So if somebody would have a BRCA1 mutation their increased risk for ovarian cancer goes up to about 35 to 70 percent, whereas with the BRCA2 mutation, there's also an increased risk for the ovarian cancer as well. It's not as high. It's 10 to 30 percent, but it's still quite significant, and there's also a different kind of genetic syndrome that we could think about. It's called Lynch syndrome, and there are about five different Um, different genes that are mutated with that. And the lifetime risk for ovarian cancer as well as endometrial cancer goes up with having those different mutations in your genes. So it's really important to know that and to know family history and to get genetic testing on board if needed. So we
0: mentioned HPV briefly when you were telling us about risk factors. Tell us a little bit more. Tell us about the vaccination and if what you're seeing as far as cervical cancers with that connection to HPV is able to be reduced and or prevented with this vaccine?
1: So HPV, there are several hundred types of HPV out there. Um, There are a lot of low risk types, but the type that we are most concerned about is the high risk types that lead to abnormal cell changes on the cervix. And you are right, there has been an HPV vaccine that has come out And it's recommended for all boys and girls ages 11 to 12. And it's recommended to get the three doses of that HPV vaccine at that age. Um, But you can get it up to the age of 26 in both men and women. At that point, you'd only need two doses. But over time, we have seen that having this vaccine on board has caused the decreased rate of incidence with cervical cancer and less and less Um, diagnoses that occur with cervical cancer overall since this vaccination has been on board. So it is really important, um, this vaccination and doing screening tests with pap smears for women especially, that's really important to do from from a young age. And as we age up to age 65, it's really important to have that on board too, because we're catching things earlier, having this HPV vaccine on board is helping keep things at bay as well too, so I think both of those in combination are very important.
0: Well, they certainly are, and let's talk about symptoms, Heidi, because obviously we've heard that ovarian doesn't have any until it's in some later stages, which can be pretty scary for women myself included, but some of these cancers do have symptoms. However, some symptoms are things women experience all the time. So tell us if there are some specific symptoms that you can point to that would send a woman to her doctor and say, you know what, this may not be normal.
1: Yeah, so some specific symptoms that occur, especially when I'm thinking of cervical and endometrial cancer, when those two come to mind, abnormal vaginal bleeding, or having an unusual vaginal discharge, um, especially vaginal bleeding after menopause, that's a big risk factor or sign to think of when thinking about endometrial cancer. Um, because after menopause, uh, women should not have vaginal bleeding. So that is something to, you know, trigger a woman's mind to say, hey, I need to get this checked out, go see their gynecologist, get this worked up further. Um, other things that can happen with that would be, you know, irregular bleeding with cervical cancer, bleeding after intercourse, painful intercourse. When I'm thinking more on the ovarian cancer track, some of the biggest I would say signs and symptoms, even though they occur you know, later, would be abnormal fullness or bloating, pelvic pain or pressure, persistent abdominal pain that's not going away, um, feeling full fast, so after eating and feeling like you're full quickly or having to urinate more often than normal, and those are obviously not specific, as we had mentioned, but those are some of the signs to think about. So it's really important for a woman to know these things and think, hey, this is abnormal for me. I need to get this worked up further. I need to go see my doctor and get checked out because those are signs that we think about and that need to be looked into further. And before we talk
0: about the coordination of care between providers for these types of cancers. What about fertility, Heidi? When should a woman who's been diagnosed with one of these gynecologic cancers think about preserving fertility, or when does she speak to an oncologist?
1: So that is a really good question. This is something that is really important in our um, patient population. Now, a lot of women who come to us and are diagnosed with cancer are at a later age, so they're kind of after that fertility window. You know, ovarian cancer and endometrial cancer increased age are two of the biggest risk factors for those two. So women who are you know in their 50s, 60s are getting diagnosed with this. Cervical cancer can be diagnosed at a younger age, um, although it is typically around age 40 to 50. But it is very important for our women who are younger and those who want to think about fertility options. And I think that's a very important conversation to have. We do have that in the office. Um, When patients come to us for an initial consult, that's something that is talked about. If they're at a younger age, if they're interested in fertility preservation, you know, what options that we have. And in that case, you know, we would have a fertility specialist on board and things to discuss uh, further with fertility management.
0: Well, thank you for that very important answer. And as we wrap up, as survivorship continues to grow, where do you see the coordination of care between gynecologic oncologists? There's OB-GYN and, as you said, fertility specialists. And there's so many different specialists involved. Wrap it up for us with why that is so important for women with gynecologic cancers and what you can do for them at Deaconess the Women's Hospital.
1: It's really important to have a good coordination of care between, you know, an OBGYN, family doctors, us um, being the gynecologic oncology specialist. Um, fertility management, things like that, because we need a comprehensive overall good picture and care for these patients because it's important for patients you know, who are seeing us and they have cancer and then we treat them with chemotherapy, radiation, whatever the treatment regimen might be, and then we see them for surveillance. And we follow them for that amount of time, but we reiterate the importance of you know, making sure that you're following with your gynecolo- your gynecologist afterwards and making sure that you're still doing annual exams because they're really important, especially with the cervical cancer and endometrial cancer, um, doing a pelvic exams, following with um, your primary care provider to continue doing regular screening mammograms, colonoscopies, things that are very important. So overall, from the very beginning, it's really important to have a good coordination of care between all health care providers so we can take care of these women as best as we possibly can um, over their course of being diagnosed with cancer in general.
0: It's great information and so important for women to hear. Thank you so much, Heidi, for joining us today and sharing your expertise. For more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit deaconess.com cancer to get connected with one of our providers. And that concludes this episode of the podcast series from Deaconess, the women's hospital, a place for all your life. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Deaconess Women's Hospital podcasts. Also share this with your friends and family. It's so important to hear about screening and risk factors so that we can all learn from the experts at the Women's Hospital together. I'm Melanie Cole.